Hey, good morning and thanks for joining us for our teaching time this morning as we are uh, finishing up this little two-part series called The Whole Truth of uh, really looking at how our lives can be defined, transformed, and really destroyed in many ways by lies and by lies that we not just know that are lies, but lies that we take in and believe is truth. Again, we talked last week how those are the more most powerful lies. It's not lies that are that are obvious and known. It's lies that are believed and acted on and are and built systems on and worldviews on and the way we interact with people, the way we view ourselves and the way we view our God, uh, those lies can be very destructive in our life. And we talked about how these this lie uh, that we actually find in the book of Genesis, the original lie that really changed the whole view of how man viewed God uh, really changed and took away two things in our relationship that we've been hopefully working to restore uh, over our our lives. And the first one that it took away was this idea of of, of grace, right? That when we believed a lie, and, and, what, and what was that lie, right? Uh, it was it was this lie uh, that the serpent, uh, Satan, the devil, told to Adam and Eve in the garden and made them believe something different about God than God had said and revealed about himself. And the lie was simply this. He was talking about, you know, that God had given them the one command. They had total freedom except the one command not to eat of the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't because God was holding back from them. It was because God knew he didn't want them to have to carry the weight of trying to be creator. Instead, that they were a creation. And we talked about that all last week uh, of why this uh, God even set this boundary up. But uh, Satan, uh, in the form of a serpent, came to them and lied to them. And he said this. He said, if you eat of this tree, this is Genesis 3, 4 through 5, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. These are the lies. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. And so last week we looked at that first lie, right? That you will be like God. And really what uh, that lie causes us to, to do is to uh, move away from this idea that we even need God, that we are God, that we are not even in need of God's goodness, instead believing that he is out to get us instead, that we don't even need him. And, that, and if we do, if we act like we do, we're weak for even thinking that we need him. Instead of acknowledging who he is as creator uh, and who we are as the created, we try to step into his role and, and then even make him subservient to us. And as this moment happened, uh, we saw, we're going to, we're, you know, we're going to, we already saw last week how Adam and Eve responded of creating separation between them and God. And, and that's what the first lie does, right? The first lie causes us to separate from God, to to move in a direction away from his grace and to, to move in different directions. So so that destroyed our ability to experience the gracious, gracious nature of God. But there's a second part to this lie, right, that we see here where it says, when he says, if you do this, if you go against what he says, then you will be like him. And then second, he says that you will know good and evil, right? So, so knowing good and evil, it's the second part of this lie. And what, 
what the serpent tricked them with is the idea that you and I can know best. We can have ultimate and complete wisdom to determine what is right and what is wrong. God shouldn't be the only one making the rules. As a matter of fact, who even gave him the authority to make the rules? Why, why can't I know what's right and wrong? And why can't I establish what's right and wrong? And, and honestly, what this is, when we have this mindset that I get to determine what's right and wrong, that is the nature of sin. Now, a lot of us, when we hear that word sin, we think of some different things, right? We think of like a list of do's and don'ts. We think of rules that must be followed. And if I do wrong, then I gotta do something to make up for that. But, but sin is not a list of do's and don'ts. Here, here's what it is instead. Sin is the idea that I know better than God, that my ways are higher than his ways. And, and here's what sin does. It does not just create separation like the first light did, but instead it creates enmity between us and God. And, you know, like we start looking at it as, as rivals, as competition, someone to be defeated. And it creates not just separation, but enmity and enmity destroys peace. We, we stop wanting to listen to God. We start, stop believing that what he says is actually best for us. If you've ever raised kids, you, you've experienced this at some point in your life. Like when, when they're toddlers and they're young and uh, you know, they're starting to, to you know, be able to listen and comprehend, whatever you say as a parent is like, you know, it's like speaking as God. They'll, they'll do it. If I tell you to go here, do that, whatever. They, they, it's like this blind faith, this trust in you. But as they grow and begin to expand their knowledge, they, they start to, you know, maybe hit their teenage years and they start to think, you know what? No, I, I know what's best. I want to make my own rules. They start, I ask them to do something. And then the question's like, why? Why do I have to do that? Or no, I don't want to do that. And it, we, we've experienced this personally, right? But this goes even deeper and even more enmity when we talk about how it does between us and God. That when we believe the lie that we can be the purveyors of truth, the purveyors of good and evil, it does not just put us separate from God, it puts us at odds with God. And so let's pick up the story kind of where we left it last week where uh, Adam and Eve had eaten the apple and uh, or the fruit, we don't even know it was an apple, but the fruit that they ate and they were uh, now realized that something was different. Something was different. And what they're experiencing now is is sin, is this idea of their thinking in a different way than than what they had before. And so let's see what sin does and how it impacts us as we do this. And so uh, step one here, I, I think we see what sin does to our life is going to be found in Genesis 3, 8 through 9. And it's the initial reaction of, of them and God after they have eaten of the fruit. And it says this, it says, then they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? So you see that the difference here immediately of man's response and God's response when this happens? God desired intimacy. He knew something had shifted, choice had been made, and God came looking the way he normally did to spend time with them. And he's, he's like, where are you? I know you normally 
here we normally meet in this fashion. Where are you? God was desiring to draw close to them. God knew that they had sinned. He wasn't even surprised, but he, he wanted to restore the peace, restore the intimacy to where they were before sin. But what did man embrace here? Instead of embracing intimacy and running out and meeting the Lord God, it said that they hid. And so what does man embrace? Man embraces isolation. Man embraces isolation. Adam and Eve knew what they had done, that they had made a choice against what God had spoken. But instead of, again, running to embrace, they ran and hid. And and here, and they, that they hoped maybe God would go away or that they wouldn't have to face him. And here's what isolation does. In isolation, we begin to act like God isn't there. That his law and love have no impact on my life. But the truth is they still do. God's law, which is un unbending, unbreakable, the truth of God and his love, which is, you know, you can't get away from, you can't run too far from, uh, will always have an impact on your life because you are the creation and he is the creator. But in isolation, we just act like he's not there. And we try to ignore him and just go about our business and act like we still know what's ultimately right and wrong. And this isolation causes us to begin to, again, not just move away from God, but to, to ignore, as we ignore him. If you ignore somebody, do you know what that begins to make you feel about that person? Like you just don't want to be around that. It's, you begin to have a disdain for that person. And that's what happens in isolation. But there's a, there's a second step that we see them take here. And it's once they end up finally having a conversation with God about what happened. And, and you know, maybe you've done this in your life or in relationships before. Maybe you're as a husband and wife. You've gotten angry at each other over something and you just stop talking for a bit and uh, and you just kind of exist in the same space together and don't even say anything and walk by each other and all this kind of stuff. You just, you're having that isolation moment, but eventually there, there comes a conversation and that's what happened here as well. Eventually Adam and Eve and God had a conversation and this is what we see in Genesis 3, 11 through 13 and we'll pick it up and it says this. God said, have you eaten? of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. And the man said, well, the woman who you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So again, two things we see here immediately in this moment of confrontation when there's again a chance to deal with the separation and the enmity that we have with God, that Adam and Eve have with, with God. And so again, God wanted intimacy and they were choosing isolation. Here, God desired honesty, right? He's like, tell me what you've done. Tell me what you have done. And then let's deal with, it. let's work through it. And God desired an honest answer from Adam and Eve. He knew that part of restoring intimacy was for them to, to take a wholehearted responsibility for the steps that they had taken. Not leaving a stone unturned, not feeling left unexpressed, no motive left unchecked. A deep conversation that was going to restore the intimacy and restore the grace and the peace 
that they had with one another originally. That's what God desired, honesty. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you did. Let's work through this. I'll explain to you why I even did this in the first, why I set that up in the first place. We can talk about it and grow deeper from here. But Adam and Eve chose something different. Instead of honesty, what did they do? Adam says, well, the woman you gave me, God, you know, she's the one that gave me the fruit to eat. And, the, and then Eve's like, well, the serpent, you know, you're the one that created everything. And the serpent that you created, he's the one that, that tricked me and deceived me. And so Adam and Eve, instead of, instead looked not, not for honesty, but instead for look for somebody else to blame for their actions and take the target off of their back. You know, Adam with Eve, Eve with the serpent, but ultimately, not even with with that group, ultimately what they did was to, to step outside of God's grace, by stepping outside of his God's grace and by having these moments of isolation from him, they actually looked at God as the reason, as the one to blame, right? That's what the, the woman you gave me, the serpent you created. When, when we blame, especially God and even others in our life, but here's what blame does. Blame builds a bigger wall. It builds a wider gap between us and the other person. So isolation, right? We can still be in the same room. We're just not talking. We're having, but when we have this moment and we're having this true interaction and the ability to come clean, to be honest, to deal with our doubts, our fears, our hurts, our shortcomings, our sins in our life, and we don't do it, and instead we push it off and we blame others or eventually blame God, all that blame does is build a bigger wall and a wider gap for us to experience the grace and peace of God. So ultimately, the, these two steps that they take of isolation and blame have destroyed their peace with God. Now, God's desire for peace, but it has draw, destroyed their mentally, their mind's ability to have peace with God. They look at God now with enmity instead of being at peace with him. And here's here's what this sin does in our life. Any sin, this this idea when we start to believe that we know better than God. Again, not a list of do's and don'ts, but when we say my desire for love can be fulfilled in a different way than God desired. My desire for contentment can be fulfilled in a different way than God. My my desire, you know, to be able to forgive others, I'm going to hold on to better. Like when we think our choices are the better choices than God, that we know better than God. Not that we can just be like God, but then eventually we can be no better than God. Here's what does. Here's what that sin does in our lives and in the character of God. First, sin causes man to declare God as the enemy. We start to see him as the enemy, as somebody that we are battling against, somebody we want to get rid of, somebody we want to get far away from. He becomes the enemy in our life, and that's what this process had done. The, the idea of separating from God first and his grace, remembering they had forgotten that God wanted good for them, had, had been pouring good into their lives. They walked away from that, chose a lie, and in that lie moved them away from God's grace and eventually put them in enmity with God, which destroyed the peace. And so sin causes man to declare God as the enemy. But 
Here's the great news and where we'll turn it today. Sin also causes God to do something. And what we see in scripture in Romans 5, 6, and 8, it says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if sin causes man to declare God as the enemy, this verse tells us that sin causes God to pursue peace with man. Not out of anything we've done, not because it says we were perfect, righteous, or good person. It's because in our sin, at our very worst, at our, at our moment of deepest enmity with him, he still pursues peace with us. Sin caused God to make the ultimate sacrifice. To, to come in the form of a man to live a perfect life, to, to offer a perfect sacrifice for restoration of our relationship. To, to die. At our weakest and dirtiest, God came nearest to us. He came in the flesh and dwelt among us. God, sin doesn't cause God to distance himself from the sinner. It causes him to come near to the sinner. So that, that's great news. Right? Just because we've declared God as our enemy doesn't mean that he has declared us as his enemy. Instead, he is pursuing peace. No matter how many rockets we throw at him, no matter how many insults we throw at him, no matter how far we try to separate ourselves, he still says, I want peace with you. At your dirtiest, at your farthest from me, I still want peace with you. And so, how do we then make a choice to restore that peace. Because ultimately it's not, God has already made his choice and demonstrated his character that he is ready to have peace with us. And so when we come to a point where we will finally move out of the isolation and out of the blame, how do we then re-engage and re-step into experience this grace and peace of God? And I think it's understanding and embracing and having community with the entire nature of God. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Spirit as he is revealed in Scripture. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what we have to embrace. We have to embrace God as Father. If you want to re-embrace peace and re-experience the grace of God in your life, you have to embrace God as Father. And here's what I want you to know about that, is God wants to parent you, not punish you. The God of the Bible is not one that is out to just punish. He's not a punitive God. He is a restorative God. And just because we make a mistake, he is not looking to come and bring revenge into our life. Instead, what he wants us to do with that mistake is to learn from it, to grow from it, to understand why that path of deviation is not healthy for us. And that's what a good parent does. It's not to punish, but to parent. And that restores the peace, right? Do you know what revenge does? Or just, you know, when you, when you keep doing, when I do something to you and then you, in revenge you do it to me and then I do it back to you, that doesn't restore the peace. It just keeps the cycle going. God has broken that cycle 
And that is as father, he is parenting us, not punishing us and restoring the peace. I, I can tell you so many times in my life when I was a child and, and now even as a parent that I can remember having done something wrong as a child and being not wanting to talk to my dad or mom and isolation and then getting angry at them. But eventually once we had these moments, like there was this restorative moment of peace together. I've seen it with Katie and I and our kids when we've had moments of disobedience and it's like, you just, you know, house is not at peace, right? But then when you get back and you, you parent the right way, you restore that peace. And so if you want to, again, stop the battle, begin to think about how to move back toward God, close the ice, get out of the isolation and the blame and the separation and move back to God first, embrace him as father, as a parent who is not out to just punish, to punish. Second thing we got to embrace then is the son. God is the son, which is Jesus. We have to embrace him as savior. And this is where we learn and we, we, when we study the gospels, the story of Jesus, the teachings about Jesus, uh, then what we learn is this, is he, Jesus wants to give grace, not guilt, right? Jesus did not come to serve, but to be a servant. And a servant can give grace to those in need. He does not dispense guilt. He serves whatever you need. Oh, it's what a servant does, whatever you need, they do. The example Jesus set before us is to not make us feel lacking, that we're guilty, but instead of provide encouragement and inspiration to step back in. That's what grace is. And Jesus as Savior is what reestablishes grace in our life. God as Father reestablishes peace in our life as he is a parent that's not out to punish. God is the Son, Jesus, reestablishes grace in our life as he refuses to use guilt as a tool to control and manipulate us. But there's a third way that God has demonstrated himself and is through the, the Holy Spirit, through the gift of the Spirit uh, for those that are believers. And, and here's what we have to embrace is the Spirit. If God is the Father, Jesus is the Savior, the Spirit is the Helper to come give us direction, not despair. The, the gift of the Spirit in our lives is not this constant reminder of how bad we are. It's not this spy cam that God uses to keep an eye on what you're doing, what you're thinking, and how you're feeling. That, that, would, that would make me despair. <laughs> but instead, the Spirit is given for direction to keep us from returning to what we did, from stepping back in to sin. He gives us direction in time of need. This is a beautiful picture of how God has demonstrated his character in the entirety of the Trinity to work to restore the overcoming of this lie that we embraced long ago that we can be like God and we can even be better than God setting our own standard of good and evil. This lie that Satan and the serpent has told every human being from the beginning of time that we, God is out to get us. He does not want good for us. And he is, you, you can be as good as him. But second lie, you can be better than him. You can set your own standards. 
And what he does is causes us to separate from God's grace and eventually uh, in our own arrogance to take on enmity with God and lose our peace with God. But God in his gracious, good, and restorative character says, I will parent you as father, not punish you. What a beautiful thought today on Father's Day, right? That God is the ultimate picture of good and gracious father to love us, to encourage us, and to help us step forward. You know, that I had a beautiful and still have a beautiful example of a father in my life who does this, who will speak difficult words, have honest conversations with me when I need to. But he's always ready to end the conversation in a restorative manner and move forward. And that's what God does. And then as the son, he's building, putting grace into our life, not using guilt. And then as the spirit, he's helping us to keep moving in the right direction instead of going off and believing more lies. So my question for you today is simply this. In these moments of sin, in these moments where we believe the lies of Satan and the lies that are generated in our own hearts that are against the things of God. When we sin, does sin make you embrace God or want to try to escape God? And I think how we answer that question reveals our true understanding of who God is. If we think God is a punisher that's going to use guilt to manipulate us and then try to keep an eye on us so he knows when to hurt us again, then we're going to try to escape God. But if we can embrace God as a loving father who's out to parent us and grow us, and as him as the son, as, as Jesus, to provide grace instead of guilt, and then the spirit as the helper to help us move forward instead of get off track again, then we begin to have an understanding of the true nature of God and grace and peace begins to flow into our life. It's a beautiful thought this morning, and maybe it's something that you would like to talk to somebody about. And uh, I would love to do that personally. Uh, if you wanna reach out to me, my email is on the screen. You can email me, we can talk about how to experience the grace and peace of God, how to understand the true character and nature of God expressed as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Maybe you've been living in a way that you think God's up to get you and you're under guilt uh, and you're waiting for the punishment to come and you're ready to step out from underneath that and step into the grace and the love and the nurturing nature of God. I'd love to help you do that. So feel free to reach out. Uh, but, but this morning, uh, I'm going to close us in a moment of prayer to help us just challenge us this week to remember that we have first of all been lied to. And we can overcome that lie by not running from God, trying to escape God, but instead embrace God. Again, we're not doing our groups uh, during the summer. And so uh, if you want to talk about this with somebody besides me, then, then feel free to reach out to others in our faith family and do that. And again, next week we'll be meeting in person. And so there'll be time to engage there as well. But let me pray for us and then we'll be done for today. God, thank you for, for you as a gift to us, as Father, Son, and Spirit, as a parent, beautiful parent, 
as a savior and as a helper. That God, as we get tripped up by these lies, as we get fooled, as we get manipulated by lies, God, you are there to pull us out of that, to let us walk in truth and in freedom and in hope. God, help us not to believe the fake news, but in to embrace the whole truth that you are a good and gracious God who desires peace with us and for us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.